Welcome to the first episode of the Healthcare Insight Podcast. I'm Eric Silverman. And I'm Jane Crosby. Thank you for joining us today. Our first interview this week was with Amanda Todorovic. You got a chance to, to interview her, Jane. And of course, I got a chance to listen to it. I think I think our listeners will really, really enjoy it. It got me thinking a little bit about the conference that's going on this week. Um, we've both been going to the first annual virtual Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategies Summit. And Anne Handley had a presentation as one of the keynotes. And she was talking, you know, a lot about a lot about content marketing from the point of view of marketing profs. And it was really interesting to, to listen to. And one of the things that she really dialed in on was slowing down to speed up. You know, this this concept of slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And the idea that we're in an environment where content marketing is just really, really prolific. And that doesn't necessarily mean good content. And really thinking about how we connect with um, our users and the right audience in the environment that makes sense to them. It, it had some it had some some corollary to um, to some of the things that you talked about with Amanda Todorovich, don't you think? It did. Amanda is a really, really sharp marketer, and, and Anne Hanley is one of my favorites in the content space. Admittedly, the only e-newsletter I read. I hope none of our clients with e-newsletters with True North are listening to this. Um, but Amanda had really great insight around how they create content that's meaningful, and she can back it up too. They have over 10 million views a month to their Health Essentials blog, which is crazy. They have a global audience for that content. So she really is creating great content that sticks and, and gets views. Um, I think Anne Hanley's view around there's so much content out there right now and not all of it's good is, is right. We see a lot of content in the market that's not great, whether it's from health systems or retail providers, other outlets that, that we pay attention to. But Amanda's team does a great job. Certainly not every single piece they create connects specifically with me or with Eric and what what's going on with us on a day-to-day life. But I love that Amanda's view is that she likes to help people in a moment of frustration. And so her content is topics about things like endometriosis, helping women understand that it's not normal to be in pain every single month or leg pain at night. Amanda said was one of their top performing posts or is consistently a top performing post every month. Um, Talking about leg cramps, keeping you up at night. That really helps someone understand that a problem they're frustrated by isn't normal and that there's actual help for it. Um, So I think that's really cool that she is starting to not just think about what they're trying to sell, but really helping people and connecting them with information that they're looking for. That's great stuff. And, you know, maybe it goes without saying, but but when you when you chose to uh, to connect with Amanda Todorovich and, and we're really, of course, honored that she she joined our podcast. But but how'd you choose Amanda? Definitely the name and the fact that she has again, over 10 million views to the Health Essentials blog every month. I think when we think about the healthcare marketers who are getting content right, um, Amanda is definitely right there and, and number one. And I'm not just saying that because it's Cleveland Clinic and we want to boost their ego a little bit. She's awesome. She's really down to earth. And I really like her practical mindset around how they develop content, promote it and deploy it to. They don't have a huge team. They don't have sophisticated resources or fancy tools. We get asked a lot, what tools do you use to plan content or deploy content or whatever it might be, but there's no magic answer. Um, Whatever you have often free is great and can help you 
produce a blog strategy or a content marketing approach that's effective, maybe not as effective as health essentials, but effective nonetheless in your market or your region of the country. Yeah, you really, you know, you really on to, to, to something there that was that was interesting to me as well. And, you know, there's tons of great context around this in, in Amanda's interview with, with you, Jane. But one of the things that I was really struck by was the simplicity that underlies the great success and audience and engagement that they're able to build it, you know, to me, you know, maybe it goes without saying, but it really is about the content. It really is about the content and how it engages with the audience, not about the size of the organization, not about the volume of content per se, not about like, like you just mentioned, not about the tools per se, but really about content as King at the heart of what they're doing. And, and this real intentionality and simplicity, right? Yeah, absolutely. And another thing I think is really interesting that I hope uh, marketers take away from our conversation with Amanda is that no topic needs to be off limits for a healthcare marketer. You don't have to prove that something connects to service line revenue. It doesn't have to be services that your organization offers. One recent post that Amanda did that I mentioned in the interview was a post on cool sculpting and other non-surgical ways to zap fat away. Uh, so things like that, they're not necessarily going to see a financial benefit from down the road, but it builds brand and it builds relationships within your target audience. And I think that's really important to remember too. Part of that is really building advocates in your C-suite though and across your medical staff to help you and empower you to create content like that and invest in it. And so that's that's the trick, right? Prove the value and prove that people will come as long as you're providing the content. Yeah. And, you know, Jane, you and I were talking about this a little bit, right? Like what's the, what's the opportunity for those of us in healthcare marketing to to experiment. I mean, you know, for better or worse, a lot of us work in, um, you know, relatively conservative organizations. You know, this idea of experimentation, everybody wants to rally around, but as a practical matter, it can be be really really challenging. You know, and so you know, my 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 supposition is, well, I guess maybe we take a piece of the budget and we try experiments, or we take a, a a piece of our budget and you know spend spend our free time on the evenings and weekends kind of working on some of these experiments. Things. But you've got you've got a really great perspective on on probably a better a better way, Jane. Talk about that. Well, my way, Eric, and you'll know from working with me over the past two years is that you should probably just do it and ask for forgiveness later instead of asking for permission, especially if it works. It's probably the best way to prove value and to prove that you're right. I remember asking Matt Gov a similar question a couple of years ago when he was at the uh, Piedmont Health System in Atlanta doing some pretty innovative things in consumerism. And he told me about how he invested in chatbots and their CEO didn't know it until there was a chatbot on their site one day. That's a pretty great example of asking for forgiveness later um, and probably not even having to apologize for it. But to a certain extent, just try it, see what you get away with. Um, I think at a tactical level, if you have a budget and an ability to create 10 blog posts per month, maybe carve out two of those that you have fun with and do something different with um, and slowly prove the value of experimenting with those different topics at a content marketing level specifically. It's a great interview. It's a great guest. Amanda's a great guest for our first episode. Thanks again for joining this first episode of the Healthcare Insight Podcast. With no further ado, let's turn it over to Jane and Amanda. Amanda. 
All right, so let's go ahead and get started. I'm joined with Amanda Todorovich from the Cleveland Clinic, who leads a great team of content creators working on the Health Essentials blog and a number of other strategies across the Cleveland Clinic uh, enterprise. Amanda, I wanted to kick things off with really your perspective on what you look for when you're building your team. Who are you trying to hire? What skill sets are most important, specifically as it relates to content marketing and social media engagement? Yeah. So, you know, over the years, um, our team has evolved a lot and changed and shifted as needed. And I think the most important thing, no matter what role it is, is being flexible because of that, right? The channels are constantly evolving and changing. Um, you know, we're writing about different things every single day. And so you have to kind of be able to roll with the punches. And you also have to have a really innate drive to constantly be doing better. You know, our philosophy is really how do we beat yesterday? So we're constantly looking at data across all of our platforms and really trying to understand what happened, what did we learn from what we did, and how do we improve? So you have to kind of have that strong desire to just constantly be doing better, be slightly competitive. You know, we're constantly looking at our competition, um, trying to understand, again, where there's opportunity and how do we we jump on that. So inherently, regardless of skill set, regardless of role, I'm really looking for that just gut of like wanting to constantly push yourself and then also to be able to just go with anything and try new things and experiment as we go. That's great. I bet you have a really fun team. Um, do you use data then primarily to guide content planning? I notice you have a ton of clinical topics, a lot of really specific content, but I noticed a recent post on non-surgical options for weight loss. And like, I personally didn't know anything other than cool sculpting existed. And that must have been something that someone like you or I came to work one day and thought, man, I we should really educate people on non-surgical options for getting rid of fat. Uh, so can you share a little bit about how you plan content? Yeah. So it's kind of a mix of data and then just kind of indirect to conversations with our clinical teams and understanding like their priorities, what are patients coming in and asking for? So there's the an, an anecdotal element to it, but for the most part, it is a lot of data. We're really trying to understand not only what people are doing on our own website or on our own channels, but what are they searching for on Google generally? Um, where can we sort of fill a gap or answer a question that maybe nobody else is at the moment? Um, and it's also paying attention to what's going on in the news that may make you know, a health topic more relevant suddenly out of the blue um, and being able to respond to that. So you know, it's really kind of a good mix. We don't plan too far out, to be honest. Um, it's We really do want to be hyper relevant. So it's kind of just steady drumbeat of like keeping up with what's going on and what's relevant right now. We log and track kind of everything we do. So we also look back at seasonal trends to try to understand like what happened last year at this time, what worked, what should we do differently, what should we repeat, that kind of thing. So, you know, we talk about numbers every day. We huddle every morning um, and we brainstorm ideas together. And then again, like I said, we partner with our clinical teams and our clinical marketing partners and just trying to understand what's going on across the organization. That's great. You've talked before on other podcasts and at conferences, I think, about how much collaboration you have with clinical staff. I think that's something a lot of our clients and a lot of healthcare marketers struggle with is getting those folks to care. How have you guys built those relationships and how do you generate that feedback and those ideas? Because that's really, really valuable to hear what patients are actually asking about. It is. It's a really critical part of our success, I would say. And we honestly don't publish anything without a medical expert involved. They're interviewed. They review the articles before we publish them. Um, so that's, those partnerships and relationships are critical and they're not easy to build. Um, you know, they take time and they take, I think, 
more than just a constant ask of them. So, you know, it's regularly meeting and reporting back to them on what they spent their time on with us and how it worked, right? So thank you for contributing to this article. It reached 2 million people um, so that they also understand that you are worth their time. Um, and that we also then ask those questions, right? What are your patients asking? And there's no physician on the planet who doesn't want to help their patients. And so we always position the content and the articles and the things we're talking about in that sense, right? How can we help our caregivers provide great information to their patients? And, you know, some docs just don't have time for us. They're just super busy and we respect and understand that. And so we just give them a lot of freedom on the timing, right? We'll try to do more evergreen things with them so that they get to the content when they get to it. And we just leave the door open where others, there are times when we need things really critically and with a faster turnaround, we try to really hold on to those and reserve those for the right moments. So, you know, it's all about mutual respect and communication. And again, it's not just always asking from them, but giving to them too, and making sure that they have the ability to also share those articles with their patients or, you know, to just be aware of when it's published and that they may want to tweet it out on their personal Twitter handle, for example, things like that. It's just really a lot of dialogue. Sure. You guys certainly have the results to back it up too and to generate some engagement. You guys have done a really nice job. We did want to ask a little bit about channels too. So I personally love your Instagram account. I always share with people when they ask if Instagram's actually valuable about the day that I was on my way to get a manicure and I saw your Instagram post about the three types of manicures and which one was the most sanitary. Uh, so super timely and relevant to the people you're trying to reach. Um, Instagram, Facebook, are there others that are really top of mind for you and what's been the most successful recently? Yeah. So honestly, during the pandemic, every social platform has become critically important. There are all ways in which we're connecting and communicating with different segments of our audience. Um, you know, honestly, Facebook has been critically important just because of the mass of people. We have more than 2 million followers on our enterprise Facebook page and 2 million on our enterprise Twitter account. So we're able to reach a large amount of people with really important information. So we, we post the most on Facebook and Twitter. But I will say Instagram is a fun one, um, and we definitely really think about what belongs there. We don't put everything that we publish on Health Essentials on Instagram, um, and we don't develop an Insta story graphically for every every article. It's really about what's going to resonate with that particular audience, and that's our approach to every channel. It's really understanding those nuances and also trying to be authentic in the platform itself, taking full advantage of those features and functionality and really trying to play and have fun um, where it makes sense. Right. We also, during the pandemic, launched a TikTok channel. <laughs> I um, was going to ask you if TikTok. I can't wait to hear this. Yeah. So interestingly enough, very early on, TikTok actually approached us um, and asked us because they definitely felt responsibility to be able to also provide information to their users. And so um, every video that we've produced around COVID we've put up there. And at the time they were also partnering with the WHO. And so the WHO had put some content out there. And so we started to play and model that um, a little bit. And actually we're in the middle right now of rolling out some pretty fun stuff related to masking. Um, because what we heard from our clinical team is that there was a rise in cases among 20 to 34 year olds. And so we looked at all of our channels and thought, okay, where could we meet that demographic most effectively. And so we ramped up a little bit on Instagram and we've done a little bit more on TikTok and Snapchat. And we have a, a whole fun campaign about um, wearing because you care and really playing on the emotional aspect of masking. So, you know, it's 
it's fun, but it's serious at the same time. And so just really trying to find the right balance and the right schedule of content. And just, like I said, really trying to make sure you're serving those audiences uniquely. That's really interesting about TikTok and Snapchat too. We get asked about those two platforms quite a bit. And some of the limitations are in how expensive it is to advertise. Are you relying primarily on an organic following and relevancy? We haven't spent a dime. Um, it's really been all organic. We're actually looking at paid right now to amplify some of what we've seen work. But no, we always start organically and try to just experiment and learn as much as we can. And, you know, I think for us, we had the bandwidth to kind of take those channels on. I would definitely say that that's not the case for everybody. And you shouldn't feel like you have to be everywhere if it doesn't make sense for you. And, you know, Snapchat and TikTok are small in terms of follower counts for us relative to the other channels, but we know that. And we're there because we want to learn um, and we want to just test things and experiment and see what could stick. And we also are trying to just build brand awareness with this younger audience. You know, someday they will need to make decisions about their health and we want to be top of mind when they do. That's great. Amanda, you probably just got me in a world of trouble because all our clients are going to start asking about TikTok. So I'll have to readjust. It's not an easy one. It's really not. And it's hard. You know, I'm I'm thankful that I have two teenage daughters who um, have definitely schooled me on TikTok, but it's <laughs> it's not an easy one to figure out. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, you're obviously at home still, at home with kids. How has your team kind of evolved their approach and structured their work to still continue to be successful in a remote environment? Or was it pretty seamless? You know, honestly, we've been remote since mid-March, not at all in the office. And it's been pretty seamless. I have to give a huge shout out to Slack. Um, I think it's been life-changing for all of us just to stay constantly connected. But, you know, we've had to do so much work so fast um, and turn things around so quickly, particularly back in March, April. Um, and so, you know, I think when you do that and you're working lots of late nights and weekends, you kind of build this really amazing bond. Um, and you know, you're all in it together. And, you know, we really do feel that and breathe that every day. Um, and I think, you know, being able to just stay connected and see people's faces and, and do video conferencing, while it's not the same at all as being in person, it's still, I think, been enough for us to stay really effective. And we've done, I would honestly say, some of our very best work under these circumstances. That's great. One question that I had for you was, are there any tools that you feel like every content marketing team should be using that maybe people don't know about or the investment might scare them off? Anything cutting edge that you you guys are playing with right now? You know, it's funny. I get asked this question all the time and I wouldn't say there's anything super cutting edge, to be honest. Um, you know, I tend to be biased to spending our budget more on content creation um, and tools have to be necessities. So if we're going to spend money on tools, it's got to be something that's really going to make our process better or really help us be more effective in the, in the roles that we're in. And, you know, most of the things that we use are free. Um, you know, it's our Google analytics and it's our social media analytics. And it's just those types of things from a workflow process perspective. You know, we do still use a lot of Google docs and Slack, like I said, has been, game changing. I mean, we're, we're using ClickUp. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty traditional types of project management things. There's nothing super crazy about it. I don't think there's really any secret sauce. I mean, it kind of just depends on what's going to work. And we also are very cognizant of not using tools that create more work um, for us. And so, you know, a lot of it depends too on your own re reporting requirements. What is your leadership need? And are you able to do that? Fortunately for me, we keep that kind of stuff pretty simple and straightforward. And, you know, we're just sort of aggregating numbers on a weekly basis to send up the ladder. But 
you know, again, it, a lot depends on what you're being asked to do. We just try to keep it as simple as we can. That's great. Are you being asked to answer to ROI numbers or are you focused more on engagement? So honestly, most of what I'm really focused on from the, the highest level metric for our, our senior leadership has been brand awareness because most of our channels are reaching national audiences and really helping us expand our reach cost effectively. And so it's a lot about that national brand awareness piece of things. And so, um, you know, while I can get to those numbers, I could tell you actually contribution margin and, and ROI by patient type. Um, that's not what I'm accountable for because that's not what we're really doing strategically. If that were the case, um, you would see a lot more heart content from us. You would see a lot more surgical content from us. And that's not really with the, the game we're in. Um, we're really trying to build relationships with people all over the world. And so we do quarterly um, national brand awareness studies with our market research team. And then we also have, we use YouGov, which tracks awareness every day for us. And we can kind of see if we're spiking or things like that. So that's really the end all be all metric for me today is brand awareness. Yeah, I love that. You mentioned you're trying to reach a global audience. What are like your top five countries other than the US? Well, yeah, so we, we have, we're building a hospital in London. Um, So that's important to us. The UK is an important market. We have a facility in Canada um, and in Abu Dhabi. Um, So, you know, it's important for us to be globally recognized. We're not necessarily from my team's perspective, going after specific markets outside of that, it just so happens that because our content does rank really well in search and things like that, that we do actually have global reach in a lot of different areas. Um, but, you know, it's when I talk about the metric, the metric is, is U.S. Okay, got it. That makes sense. Really good stuff, Amanda. I appreciate all that you've shared so far. Um, anything else that you really wanted to share with our audience? I do have a few more questions, but anything else around team building or leadership or um, what you're tracking, how you're executing on content marketing? No, I mean, I think the one big thing from a leadership perspective that I've I've learned under these circumstances is that you do definitely have to take the time to think um, and to reflect on what's working and not working. It's really easy in a crisis kind of environment to just keep moving forward and do whatever everybody's asking you to do. But it is still, I think, no matter what, it's been important for us to sort of stick to the way that we've always done things in terms of that reflection and what's working, what's not working, what are we trying, what are we doing differently, how can we improve that COVID landing page? Um, you know, and it's just, we haven't changed our strategy at all. Um, it's still about useful, helpful, and relevant content. The only thing that's really changed is topics, right? So now we're talking about COVID every single day, um, but we're still doing it in the same fashion and style and approach that we would have pre-COVID. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. So that gets me into how has COVID shifted your strategy? I, you continue to produce great content that's not COVID related, which I think is really necessary, especially now because we're so tired of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how did your content strategy evolve kind of right away? And how do you envision some of those shifts continuing into especially next year, but potentially even later than that? Yeah. So early on, <laughs> um, like back in March, uh, it was a very different mindset. It was like, this is emergency type of information, right? This is like educating people about what this virus is and how you need to take care of yourself and your family and, you know, what does quarantine mean and what is all this terminology and just trying to provide all of that. Like we were publishing, there was one day, I think we published 11 articles. Um, It was just as much as we could get out there 
as fast as we possibly could. And then it sort of evolved away from that. It was like, okay, now we kind of have the foundation, right? We have all the basic information out there. But then, you know, as things were evolving and we were learning more about it and things were shutting down and people were scared, we really shifted and have constantly had an element of mental health there the whole time. Um, and just really trying to be that trusted friend um, that's providing information that's scientifically based and, you know, again, what's what's relevant to you in this moment. And we have published a at least one COVID article every single day since mid-March and still do today. Um, then we've, we, and for about two months or so, we only did COVID content. We didn't do anything else. Um, it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel relevant. And then we slowly started to like introduce more non-COVID content, mix it in. But again, always through the lens of does this make sense in the COVID environment? Um, is this still going to help people right now? And, you know, things like recipes suddenly became more important because people were at home more and needing to cook more and asking lots of questions about what to cook and, you know, that kind of thing. And so, you know, we, we slowly started to ramp up on things like that. And then, okay, now it's the summer and people are bored and stuck at home and they need activities for the kids. And can I go to the pool? And what does it mean to eat? You know, like all that kind of thing. It's just, we've kind of just gone on this journey with people and provided content at every turn. We just really wanted to be there um, and, and to help people cope with this crazy. I mean, it's so crazy and it's changing all the time. And at the same time that we're pushing out new content, we're also going back and making sure the content we still have up there is accurate. So there's been a lot of updates um, and a lot of changes. And as medications have been talked about or the vaccine has been talked about, like just trying to kind of just give people the latest and update them and reassure them. Like I said, every step. And right now it's back to school, right? So we're talking about kids and masks and we're talking about, okay, so you have your kids at home for school now. What are you going to feed them for lunch all the time that's easy while you're working yourself? Like just trying to kind of think about what are people going through and how can we be there for them in those moments? That's really smart. I was going to ask you about how you stay organized too around going back to review that content and bigger picture, all of your non-COVID content too. How do you stay organized around going back to refresh content so you're not reinventing the wheel every time Breast Cancer Awareness Month comes around or summer comes around, for example? Yeah. A lot of that has to do with your CMS and just kind of how you manage your sort of corpus of content. Um, and we sort we have two different databases that my team is really working from. One is Health Essentials, and that's all in WordPress. And we kind of have ways of things tagging things in our back end to be able to manage all that. And then the other, our health library content's also my team's responsibility. So our kind of encyclopedia of health information, which is on our main website and in Sitecore. Um, so we kind of have to like keep track of both of those things. Um, and we actually are in a, the middle of a project right now as well where it's not COVID related at all, but going back through all of our content, both on the health library and in health essentials that's older than 2017 um, and redoing it or deleting it or combining it. Um, and we onboarded um, some additional resources to help us get through that by the end of this year. So um, it's a big undertaking. Governance is a huge thing. Um, and I think it's really important that you build process around that and that you have resources dedicated to it because it's equally important, if not more important than producing new. That's smart feedback. I think that'll be really helpful for a lot of our listeners to hear just how crucial it is to make sure you're going back to review that because regardless, people can find it. And so that information does need to be up to date and looked at on a, on a regular basis. 
Amanda, I think that was most of the questions I had specific to content strategy. I do have a couple of maybe funner questions for you. What is your either top performing or personal favorite piece of content that you've produced in the last year or so? Or maybe both. Maybe they're two different pieces. You know, that's an interesting question because <laughs> we cover so many, so many different things. Um I will tell you, interestingly enough, our top performing piece of content for a long time running um, is actually an article about leg cramps at night. Interesting, right? But it's very, very common. um, And it's something people get really frustrated about. And it's not necessarily something where you're going to get like a medication for it or a surgery for it. And people just get really frustrated. And I think my favorite content is always the content that just helps people in those moments of frustration or just like really helping them deal with a chronic issue that's just annoying. Um, You know, because then it goes beyond us just you know, being doctors and providing medical care. It's just kind of helping people through those things. And um, we've, the interesting thing is that we published that article years ago, but it's iterated um, because we pay attention to the fact that it's always in the top. And so we always want it to be really great um, and worthy of that top spot. And so, um, you know, that comes top of mind. I think any of the COVID content we've done, I'm just extremely proud of because there's not a lot of sources out there that are covering kind of the depth of, it that we are in terms of the lifestyle side of it. Um, lots of people talking about, you know, the medical side of it and the aspects of it that are controversial or political, but really, like I said, that constant steady drumbeat of mental health content, I think is just, like I said, something I'm just really proud of the team for doing. Yeah. You guys have done a fantastic job the last few months and the last few years, really building all of, all of this work. You've obviously been incredibly busy over the past five months throughout the pandemic. And I'm sure your team has too. Did you get to take a vacation? What did you do? And how did you empower your team to do the same? Yeah. So I, we, I did not go anywhere. Um, I did take a week off, but to be honest with you, I didn't do much else besides drive my teenage children around to all of their functions and things. It was just nice to take a week and just be mom, um, and spend some time with them. But, um, in terms of encouraging my team, I think we've definitely been mindful of really trying to make sure that everybody gets a break because it has been nonstop um, and really intense work for months. Um, and it honestly hasn't really slowed down. I mean, just this week, it's like big changes to our visitation policies and things like that. So, um, you know, it's just being mindful of it, making sure we have cross training and ability to cover one another on certain things and just really trying to to be there and recognize the signs of when someone might need to just take a day um, and give them that. And, you know, there's been a lot of weekend work and trying to find opportunities to give time off during the week to kind of make up for that a little bit. Hasn't always been possible, really. I mean, it, it's like I said, it's been pretty intense for quite a while, but doing our best to just be there for one another and make sure we're, we're taking care of ourselves. That's great. Sounds like you guys have an awesome team. I bet it's a really fun place to work. Yeah. Our team is amazing. And to be honest, I mean, I've worked at the clinic and ran the the content marketing function for about seven years and our team has evolved a lot. We've been through multiple reorganizations and, um, you know, I actually have like a different set of people um, every couple of years and it's just been kind of really fun to just evolve that and to just build even better and stronger cross-functional teams across the entire marketing and communications division as things have evolved too. So yeah, it's, it is a great place to work and I'm just so blessed and so incredibly proud of the team. 
Yeah, absolutely. So this question's a little bit out of order, but we might be able to cut it in somewhere. How do you structure your roles? Do you have people writing about different topics? Do you have people managing different channels? I'm curious how you organize that function. And it might not be applicable to a lot of our content mar- or our marketers out there listening who only have a handful of people, but curious what your experience has been. Yeah. So Health Essentials, you know, now is over 10 million visits a month. We publish three to five articles a day. That has always been three writers. Um, and so they, we have not grown that staff. That is the same size as when I started there. And we don't have like beats really. Um, it's kind of everybody can just tackle whatever topics they want to. Um, it, they sort of throw things out there and they grab them as they want them. Sometimes a particular writer may have a relationship with a physician or just worked on something with somebody and it just makes sense to sort of tack that on or go back to them. But we don't, I don't want to burn anybody out. And I think variety is really important. Now, our editorial team is bigger than three people, but the rest of the editorial staff is focused on different things. So we have writers who are dedicated to that health library content. There are five of them. The health library is massive. Um, it's a lot of content and it, the governance side of that is really significant work. Um, and then we have two writers who work on the rest of our .org website. So all the institute content and services and updates to departments and things like that. Now, they will chip in and everybody has, um, especially during the last few months as needed on, on things. But that's typically how we kind of think about it is health essentials, the health library, and then .org. Now, there is also a separate team within marketing who handles our physician content. So there's a, a team of writers who do just that stuff. Gotcha. That's interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Anything else that you really want to share with our audience and other healthcare marketers? I don't think so. We covered quite a bit. We did. This was great. I I really, really enjoyed it. Thanks, Amanda. Have a good day. Good luck with everything. Thanks.